Welcome everyone to Jumble Dreams podcast, Let's Talk Dreams. Have you ever wanted to make a difference but did not know where to begin? Have you ever wanted to volunteer but you were nervous? Well, this is the place for you. Let's Talk Dreams is all about sharing stories of those making a difference in our communities, nations, and world. This is a project started because Jumble Dreams wants you to know that no matter who you are, you can make a change. Today for episode 10, we are excited to welcome Robbie. Robbie is a film director, editor, and CEO of RPX Media Production, as well as the founder of the Foundation for Inter-Ethnic Restoration. Um, (laughs) After obtaining her um, master's in digital production from Georgia State University, she founded FIRE in 2020 um, amidst the countless protests against police brutality and um, and rampant um, xenophobia stemming from the COVID-19 pandemic. From there, she assembled a diverse team of volunteers and researchers from countries like Nigeria, China, Bangladesh, Turkey, and Dubai to help FIRE reach its community and achieve its mission. FIRE's general mission is to bring ethnic communities together, address racial trauma through education and racial literacy, foster community engagement, and host open and inclusive discussions. So thank you for coming on today, Robbie. Um, what an impressive story, and I'm already impressed just reading that out to everyone. Um, but first, tell me more about being your own director and editor and CEO of your own company. Um, it definitely comes with its challenges. Uh, first, I'd like to say thank you for having me here. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but that having been said, it definitely comes with its challenges. Um, and at the same time, it's it's very, it, it serves as a self-sustaining avenue um because i'm self-employed and then at the same time as a creative it allows me to see the perspective of arranging like just yesterday we filmed the music video uh for a group named after dark a small um pop group new pop group that's come out and the process of sending out lunch menus and breakfast menus, getting everyone to sign paperwork, making sure all the legal documents are in place, selecting the studio, making sure the studio has a lighting you need, and then making sure you have the camera, the lens, equipment, going through the shot list. That whole process really um, is actually kind of fun for me. I know that sounds like it should be stressful, but (laughs) it's actually fun. It is fun. And then I think when you're able to pull all these pieces together, and then you have everyone there the day of shooting the day of production and you have your makeup artist who's working on the artist you have your person who your camera team putting the camera together and you can film and capture these scenes it feels like its own accomplishment in and of itself and so then being the editor means that you now get to take these scenes or these images put them together and make a story make a piece of art um whether it be visual storytelling or simply for aesthetic and um emotional expression and I thoroughly enjoy that process as well because then you have to you have to shift gears right Mm -hmm. Uh, now you're looking at tempo and timing and this is like a half a second too soon and this needs to be three seconds longer and um it's a very time-consuming process all the way through and then as a CEO, being the one who manages the finances, making sure everyone gets paid, making sure that you get paid, making sure that everyone is treated well, so you make sure you set the tone, the culture, um, and establish good relationships with people, and continue to do the networking. I mean, it's it's a lot, as you can imagine, it's a lot, but it is very rewarding in its own way, in every different facet. And how long have you been doing this now? 
Well, RPX is actually about three years old. Um, and really, it wasn't until the second year or so that we started to be more active. So this is our second year of like real activity. The years, the year before that, when we had just started, I wasn't directing as much because we had a partnership with a company that brought K-pop idols to America, specifically Atlanta. And so we did have that partnership where we were interviewing K-pop idols and artists. We were filming their concerts and creating promotional content. So for me, I'm a new director um, in that I've been doing it for about two years. But in terms of editing and my experience with editing, with my master's degree in digital production, we got a lot of training in editing. A lot of the work I did as like an assistantship had to do with like editing, motion graphics, things like that. So I've been doing editing and post-production for almost about six to seven years now, but directing is still relatively new. So I have a lot to learn. <laughs> well, that's incredible. Um, tell us more about the organization FIRE that you started it and why you started it. Mm. So FIRE, uh, the Foundation for Interethnic Restoration, was really the brainchild of the climate of 2020. Um, when we saw the footage of George Floyd being murdered on the internet and the discussions that were had amongst friends because within my immediate friend group, I have, because I, I went to Georgia State where um, the, the student population is very diverse. It's one of the most diverse universities in the nation, I think. And so having different friends from different walks of life, um, they all had different perceptions and perspectives on the issues at hand. And I had some friends come forward and it was it was like during that time period, a lot of people were coming forward and like a second Me Too movement was happening. People were talking about, oh yeah, well, you know, if we're gonna talk about police brutality and, and racism and systemic racism and all these things, let me tell you about this, this happened to me. And people were coming forward and sharing their stories and it was heartrending, it was sad. I had friends who, had parents who went to the hospital um, for, for surgery. And uh, after the surgery, they said that they were cold and lethargic and the hospital staff said, oh, they're just being lazy. They brushed it off, so they were lazy. Turns out they were bleeding internally. And you know, if they had been bleeding from that much longer, they could have died. So, I mean, people came forward and started telling their stories about how they were treated in school and all these things. And I felt that from that environment, I just saw that there were people who were still hurting from their experiences because they hadn't gotten over what they'd experienced or, or people who were angry because they saw that this is gonna happen again and no one's gonna care again. And this is just gonna repeat itself. Um, and then there were people who didn't quite understand. They were like, well, I've never seen that before until now. So is it really that much of a problem? Or maybe you're just complaining or maybe you're just misinterpreting. And there was just a lot of discourse from a lot of perspectives. And I realized that one of the major issues was that you, you as an individual, when you're hurting, when something is going on or something has happened and you have not at least been able to acknowledge and grapple with and somewhat overcome that pain, it is very hard to talk to anybody about what you've been through, much less interact with them and not interact with, with that, um, that emotional momentum behind you. Do you see what I'm saying? And so I realized mm -hmm. that we needed a safe space uh, to have these conversations where people could talk about what they experienced, face their trauma, um, help other people in the process, and then also bring communities together to enlighten each other, see one another's perspective, and hear each other out, and foster change together, foster change in, in our community, our social climate together. So that's absolutely. where FIRE kind of came from. Yeah, absolutely, and I think FIRE is exactly what we needed in 2020 and still today. Mm -hmm. um, we're still very um, divided as a country and as a nation and even as the world right now. Um, 
What has the last few years been like for you and your community? And what do you wish others knew? Mm. I wish other people knew how important racial trauma is. I wish people knew that racial trauma does not no one walks around with a sign on their forehead that says, hello, I have racial trauma. No one does that. No one has it. <laughs> no. A lot of people have said, oh, well, you know, like people, for example, we had one instance where we did a, a story exchange. So we had a, um, a moment where we exchanged stories that were related to a theme and it was more so related to our personal life. And when you have a partner that you share with, when you regroup, you share your partner's story and your partner shares your story. You say it in the first person and it's supposed to foster empathy, compassion type of um, environment. And one of our volunteers had such a difficult time with that. She was moved to tears. She broke down crying. It was very, very irritating and agitating for her to revisit these stories of pain for her. Um, and for a lot of people, that is the case as they're telling the story and then after that moment passes, then they're like, okay, no, I'm fine. I don't, I don't have racial trauma. I'm fine. But that emotion stays locked up inside of them. That feeling, that sentiment, it stays there. It never goes away. And so people are used to just functioning in their daily lives. And some of the thoughts as a result of racial trauma are so automatic, they don't even realize it. So I wish people knew how prevalent it is in our society. Um, and I feel like one of the challenges we faced is um, just as a new organization was kind of just getting word out there at first about us, distinguishing mm -hmm. ourselves from other organizations that maybe, and, and it's not that we couldn't distinguish ourselves, it's more that other organizations dedicated to one community were just more prevalent. And so establishing yourself as a an organization that brings different ethnic communities together. It's not just about Black people, not just about Asian people, not just about Hispanic people, but bringing everyone together to talk because the tension, the racial tension in our society is not just, it's not just in Black people, it's in everybody. And if we don't talk to one another about that, then how are we supposed to ever, if we can't even acknowledge that, how are we supposed to overcome that? How are we supposed to move past that? How are we supposed to bring about improvement to our society? So that's been one of our challenges. And those are one of the many things I wish people knew. Yeah. And I get it. Like getting yourself out there is really hard. Um, we've been doing this for almost five years now. And so, you know, it's just, it's still a challenge to this day, like keeping it up and making sure that you're trying to reach as many people as you can, you know, because you want people to know that they can make a difference. And you want people to know that it's okay to have, you know, these traumas and talk to people and, um, although no one should ever have to go through any of that, you know, that they have a support system through you. And that's really, really amazing. Um, but what challenges have you faced personally um, being an activist in today's culture? And like, would you mind telling me more about that? Mm. I think that part of our challenges were the fact that we were born during the pandemic. Fire came about midst of the pandemic where there was shelter in place. Basically, everything had to be digital. And I think that when you can gather people together physically, you can get a little bit more of a clear, not even just clear communication, but there's a sense that being in the atmosphere of people who who feel the way you feel, it does something and it motivates you. But trying to inspire that passion and that zeal online is a completely different 
hurdle. Um, you have to have a good presentation. You have to be very um, organized um, and balancing maintaining the team to make sure that our projects and our fundraisers and our events and our discussions all are aimed towards a goal that people can identify with, people can resonate with, they feel that they can also take part in, um, while also just balancing a whole other company and trying to make sure that everything is right with that, as you're also taking on something completely different in the completely the complete opposite direction. That was a challenge for me. Um, there was one time where I was able to go to a peaceful protest, and it was when they had the spa shootings that took place, I think, around March. And um, I mean, it's it's great networking when you go to things like that. You go and you're with people, you're showing your support, you talk to people, you meet people, but fire is not doing anything like that. And so that has been the challenge is trying to transfer our online work and our, our online collective um, work to physical manifestations of events. And so far we've done well with like our fireside chats. Um, we can have our live streams uh, and we have our discussions, we have our meetings, but trying to make that all manifest into something physical and more actionable is yeah. something that we're still working on. And it's always gonna be a work in progress too. Um, mm -hmm. But what would you tell young girls um, who want to make a difference, but don't feel like they have enough power and don't feel like they can make a difference? What would you want to tell them? There is a time for everything, but there's never really a perfect time. And that even if you feel like maybe you're not ready, understand there are people out there who have less of a team, who have less resources, who have less support, and they're able to do a lot. I've worked on teams before that were comprised of seven women who were, some were still in college, some worked day jobs as baristas, and then they turned around, got together, and arranged K-pop concerts for K-pop idols who were so famous in Korea that they couldn't even walk down the street. And these girls were working day jobs as baristas. And it was the seven of them arranging plane tickets, arranging meetings to make sure they plan everything out, planning tours here in America and in South America. And it's, it's, it's about the determination of the individual or the determination of yourself. You will already have your critics. You will already have people who will tell you it's not possible. And you may also have people who cheer you on. But what you don't want to be is your own critic holding yourself back because where you're holding yourself back, someone else may take that same idea that you have, and it's a good idea. Don't ever underestimate how good your idea is. Someone else will take that same idea and run with it or do less than your idea and run with it and they can succeed. And then you'll feel like, wait a second, I could have done that. Don't, don't let yourself slip into that. If you have an idea, if you have something on your heart, put it to action. Think about it, plan it out as best as you can, but don't be afraid to put it into action and deal with the messy middle and the messy beginnings because it's gonna be messy until, you're fine. And it always, it always be difficult because it's your first time. But once you get into that routine, once you get in that pattern, things get easier. Don't get discouraged when things are hard. That's life. Things are normally, if even, especially if you grew up like me, you know, you try things and either you're really good at it, you're really bad. And if I was really good, I would stick with it. So the inclination is like, ah, oh, this is hard. It's okay. It's allowed to be hard. You're allowed to be frustrated, but keep going and try anyways. 
Yeah, absolutely. And is that like similar advice you would say to someone who wants to volunteer for the first time? Mm. As a volunteer, I would say don't be afraid to put yourself out there. Don't be afraid to just ask, how can I help? Because you never know um, when an organization really needs help. They would be very grateful for you coming forward and offering to assist in some kind of way. Don't underestimate your power as an individual. Don't underestimate your ability to make a difference within an organization. Who inspires you the most? Ooh, that's, a, that's an interesting question. I have, I have a list of people. <laughs> and I, have a, I have a list of people I'd have to say. Okay, say them all. Um, I'm interested. Ah, okay. Maya Angelou is one of them. And okay. that may sound cliche. And I, maybe a lot of people know who she is, a lot of people. But if you know her story, if you know what she's been through, this is a woman who was assaulted when she was a child and her assault upset her relatives so much that one, I think some of, someone in her family went and killed the man. And she was so traumatized by what happened that she didn't speak for years of her life. And despite what she went through, she then went on to become one of the most respected and popular poets authors, writers, um, and everything that she wrote, you could see pure and utter wisdom. And she was not someone that when you looked at her, you saw that she had been through um, great difficulties. She was someone who, all the pictures I've seen of her, she had like a smile on her face. She, she you know, when they say that someone makes things look easy, mm -hmm. <laughs> that she was someone who made things look easy. And there are a lot of, there, or, or I would say there are a few people in my life that I can say have been through some things and they they make it look easy or they maintain a positive out, outlook and they still succeed. Um, one of those people is of course my mom because my mom is someone who, and I could go into her whole backstory, but she's, she's been through some things and through everything, she's always hopeful, always optimistic. And I think that that also helped me when my dad passed away, um, being together and kind of just moving forward together do you see what I'm saying? So mm -hmm. those, I guess that's, that's two people. That's two people on the list, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> I would have to say third on the list. And it's, it's more or less a particular poem from this woman that really inspires me. Um, if you look at Mother Teresa, there is a famous poem that she has, Do It Anyways. And it talks about all the things that could happen to a person people may accuse you of ulterior motives, do good anyways, you know? Um, what you spend years building can be torn down in seconds, build anyways. Um, and I feel that I, I really am inspired by that because it's about resilience. It's not what you go through, it's what you decide to do as a result, it's how you respond. And that is so much of your adult life and, you, you're, and your, your life as a teenager um, as well, but the ability to observe what you go through, process it, not internalize it and treat people badly um, and still be able to move forward and do good anyways, that persistence um, yeah. despite your situation. To me, that is amazing and that's very powerful. Um, let me see, another person on my list. Boy, let me think. 
<laughs> like I say, I have a list and I, I like, when I see the things I'm like, yes, that inspires me. And then, uh, uh, it, it <laughs> but no, there, there's quite a few people that like, when you look at their story and maybe it's that there's, um, a recurring motif amongst them all is that resilience, that positivity. Yeah. Another person that really did make a, um, a, a huge impression on me, Nelson Mandela. Nelson Mandela, again, a story of resilience, because this is a man who saw something wrong with the system that he lived in. He changed it, and the society he lived in hated him so much that they put him in prison. And when he was put in prison, he came out and he became, I think, the prime minister or like a leader within the country. He didn't come out with hatred and anger in his heart. He didn't come out ready to exact vengeance on the descendants of people who remained from the apartheid time period. He came out and he was... I mean, he, he was a phenomenal leader and he was very well respected within his community. So um, those are, let's say, let's top it off at three for now. <laughs> those <laughs> um, are my three so yeah. Um, what does fire, what do you guys do? I know you mentioned the fireside chats, but kind of what else do you do? Explain mm. your kind of day to day, week to week to our listeners. Mm, sure. So I typically assign tasks to my volunteers and I normally give them like a week or a two week period to complete those tasks. And those tasks are normally um, geared towards collecting data, um, information about racial trauma, about the effects of trauma, um, ways that trauma can be treated, um, which communities most frequently talk about their trauma, which ones are most apprehensive about it, just different types of information. Um, I remember when we first started, we had someone critique our website. And I remember the first thing they said is, okay, so what does the research say? What is the What are the numbers to back what your organization is about? So we're constantly doing research. And so I'm regularly like touching, checking in with my researchers saying, how's everything going? Or they have any questions. Sometimes they're bringing volunteers to the organization saying, hey, I have a friend who wants to do this, um, so on and so forth. And so aside from like managing that team, um, trying to utilize the information that we get to create events. And because I quickly realized that um, just from our social media posts that people do not like to talk about race. Now they're a little more open, but it makes people very uncomfortable. And sometimes they'll simply sh uh, like uh, retract away from it. And sometimes they'll lash out and attack. I've seen both responses on social media. Um, and so someone said to me, why not try to make this a little bit more um, engaging, something that people feel they can relate to more. And so we try to bring about our events through the lens of some kind of a creative perspective. So we were trying to arrange a dance fundraiser um, and the choreographers were challenged to come up with choreography that was unique to their racial experience. So um, one of our choreographers, for example, um, his name was Jong Hoon Lee, and he's from Korea, and his choreography was 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 done to a song that had a very like happy theme to it, and the choreography was very open and bright. And it was because the backstory behind it was that when he came to America, he was actually bullied quite often and mistreated quite often in his neighborhood because he was the only Korean, the only Asian in the area. And one um, dance was actually a way that he was able to get into the community and be treated a little bit better. But two, what also happened was when he developed friends, people started to jump in and stand up for him. So he was fortunate in that he experienced a certain amount and then it stopped. And so he then was able to focus on all the colleagues that he had who were able and willing to help him and jump in um, if he ever needed help or if he ever had any problems. And truth be told, those seem to have subsided a bit. 
um, we had some choreographers who used the technique of locking or breakdancing, and they were going to um, create choreography from that style. And it was to like the, the song, The Sound of the Police, uh, to talk about police brutality and how that um, impacts his community. One of our dancers was a black male and how police brutality impacted the black community, mm -hmm. especially black males. And then they were going to teach this choreography to people who would um, pay to attend the class. And that would have been a moment where people who are attending the class could literally embody the experience of someone else's like racial identity. Does that make sense? Yeah, um, that's really cool too, because um, we talk, of, I've had people come on and talk about like the art of dance and the art of music and the art of sound and how people express themselves. And if you listen to a song, you can hear the story and hear the, you yeah. know, in it. And so seeing the dance, you know, and other people, living their you know life and what happened to them that's really awesome and that was a unique way to get people involved um I've never thought about that I was that's a really cool way um because I just feel like a lot of people they can't understand it like for me I'm a white female like I can't understand um 100% what you know people are going through because I've never been through that Mm -hmm. And um, that's just really cool, a, a, a unique way to get people involved. That's that's really, really impressive. Um, yeah, so I, I really like that. Um, kind of how, how has it been so far? Like, how has it been having your um, organization? Um, I know you're always going to get positive feedback and you're always going to get negative feedback. Um, I understand that. So I'm going profit myself. Um, but overall, has um fire you know has a fire been lit under it have a lot of people been um very open to your organization mm. I think it took some time for people to really see us but with the first generation of volunteers that we had I think they spread word and there was a time when I would check my inbox and I would see no emails no applications nothing and now at least at least two to three applications will come in. And you see, it was a cumulative um, endeavor too, because within our first year, we had 119 applicants to volunteer with the organization. <laughs> yes. So it has picked up and it is just the beginning. It's gaining momentum and it's still got so much more momentum to gain. But I have a team right now of volunteers who have such zeal for what we're doing and they so strongly believe in what we're doing. And a lot of the people that, we network with to try and arrange events with a lot of people see it and are like whoa this is a great idea and they're kind of just like whatever you need help with we'll help you of course we still have a ways to go but absolutely right people are seeing that so it has picked up and it's like I said it's just the beginning because we're we're trying to do more in-person events um and possibly it's looking like in the future we may be able to do events in Georgia and do events in New York and then in other states as well so it's a matter of time if you want to do them in Tennessee, let me know. Um, that's where sure. I'm at. Um, how can listeners stay in contact with you? Sure. So if anyone would like to reach out to me, they can email admin at fireatlanta.org, uh, admin, F-I-E-R, at fireatlanta.org. Um, or if they really want to, they can go to fireatlanta.org. That's the actual website itself and click on like the contact us page or volunteer with us. And they can literally just type in a little message, say, hi, I'd like to volunteer or um, shoot me a message through that email. 
and see what we can do. Uh, our social media is also very active. We regularly have posts and little fun trivia things going on there. So people can follow us on um, Fire ATL at Fire ATL and DM us if they have anything. <laughs> Yeah. Thank you for coming on today and sharing your dreams and passions for making a difference. You're such an inspiration to many, and I'm so glad that you are now a part of the Jumble Dreams family. Um, for anyone who wants to be on our podcast, please visit our social media or website to find the link to sign up. Make sure to follow our social media for further episodes. Thank you for coming on. Thank you for having me. It's such a pleasure. It's such an honor.